Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing on this Saturday? Good morning, Jason. I'm doing okay. I hope you are. You, I, I take it you're doing better than last weekend. You, you seem to have had, <laughs> after you left the show here last week, it seems that uh, you had an adventure, Bill. Uh, well, I, ha- I have to say uh, that I did. In fact, um, as I've mentioned uh, numerous times, I've, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, a, a beach – well, not really a beach – a sound home on the Outer Banks uh, where I have a sailboat that I can you know, take my respite uh, on as many weekends as I can get down there to, to get out uh, on the water. But unfortunately, uh, like many folks in North Carolina and South Carolina and Florida – uh, and Georgia and Virginia at this point, uh, uh, we got surprised by Hurricane Michael. It, it doesn't make sense because Michael really didn't hit uh, uh, the coast uh, of North Carolina at all. Uh, but um, we got a lot of rain, and that rain ended up flooding the Albemarle Sound, which I had 16 inches, over 16 inches oh my in goodness. my house. Uh, on the Outer Banks. A lot of, it hadn't even been reported. The folks down there know all about it because it really uh, took its toll uh, on the Outer Banks. Uh, and so uh, I spent um, uh, last uh, the bulk of last weekend cleaning up and trying to cut out dr- uh, drywall and and uh, just trying to clean up. And I, you know, I still have more to do this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, if, if actually uh, uh, from a political perspective, if the swamp had already been drained, I wouldn't have had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, but I, I, and I'll, I'll come back to the analogy of, of what I had to take. But when you have water get into your house, it's, it's worse than just having water because the swamp brings in – uh, a lot of really bad things that you have to use Clorox and other uh, uh, cleaners to make sure you don't get uh, mold and other horrible things that can come at, uh, after you uh, get the water out and dry out and those kind of things. But um, sort of like what's going on with politics right now. But as I have talked uh, over the last several weeks, I have talked about the fact that we have a constitutional crisis uh, coming our way uh, as we start voting. And in fact, uh, for those who are not aware, early voting has already started. It started on Wednesday. And so I'm trying in a very um, bipartisan, nonpartisan way of trying to educate folks on what I believe to be very misleading um, attempts by the uh, legislature to take over the state, and it's um, it really is a crisis. And and I was very fortunate. I have as my guest this uh, morning uh, one of the most prominent attorneys in North Carolina, and I'm so pleased to have him as a guest, Joe John. And uh, for uh, most attorneys in North Carolina know Joe uh, because he is a preeminent attorney. And judge, uh, who uh, fortunately uh, can speak 
about these amendments uh, and knows more about them than than I do. And I feel pretty educated and feel compelled to educate uh, folks as it relates to that. But just so people know Joe John's background, uh, Joe early on was a prosecutor uh, in Guilford County. Uh, and, you, you know, most people should know that prosecutors are pretty conservative folks. They're folks that have to, um, in essence, put folks away for crimes committed. And that taints you pretty conservative, uh, just that experience right there. But uh, he, unlike most others, he has also served uh, in a number of judicial capacities. And that's the experience that I think is so important for the voters to hear from because Joe has served as a judge uh, on, on almost every level of our court system. Now, he served as a district court judge, which is a lower court in North Carolina. He's uh, – served as a trial court judge and as a superior court judge. That's the big court, uh, but it's the trial court in North Carolina. And then he's also served on the Court of Appeals, which is very important for folks to know. Uh, and he's also been called on legislative uh, and executive leaders to clean up a couple messes because he's personally been called on to clean up a mess over at DMV at one time and then – he was also called on to clean up the mess over at uh, at the crime lab for the SBI, which, of course, involved hundreds of cases, which um, because of things that were just being done unfairly. Uh, but the one thing about being a judge, um, uh, the, the, the credibility of a judge is about being fair and impartial. And that's a reputation that Joe John has carried with him. From the very beginning, and I can't say enough about uh, the integrity that Joe John carries uh, as an attorney in North Carolina. Now, with that said, I want folks to hear uh, from Joe John as it relates uh, to the amendments that if you're going to vote, you need to know about these amendments Um now, one of the things that um, folks should just know as it relates to North Carolina, and your shirt reminds me of it uh, this morning, Jason, <laughs> uh, that uh, most commentators call uh, North Carolina a purple state, not a red state, not a blue state, but a purple state. Uh, so I'll just throw that out to Joe <laughs> to get us started a little bit. What does that mean? I think, uh, and good morning to you and, and, to, and to everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Purple State, I guess, uh, means that we are uh, a blend of of the uh, uh, current majority for the political philosophies, uh, basically uh, left and right. And it further, to me, means, and it kind of mirrors my approach to uh, legislation that comes into the General Assembly, it means we are a, a blend of those. We are neither far right nor far uh, far left. Uh, I take the approach in the General Assembly based on my judicial experience of simply not being uh, guided and prompted and, in fact, dominated by some far right or far left political philosophy, but by 
basically making a determination on the evidence, that is, the uh, uh, all the materials and the background information and, and the actual language of the legislation in front of me and then just try to make the best decision uh, I can uh, in the interest of the taxpaying citizens of the state of North Carolina. Well, uh, I appreciate that, Joe, and, and um uh, you, you know the tr- the truth is is that uh, Joe can be cerebral at times, uh, and uh, I respect that. I think it's pretty simple when you just look at statewide elections uh, for governor. We've had a number of Republican governors. We've had a number of Democratic governors over the last up teen years. It goes back and forth, so it tells me that most North Carolinians are in the middle. Uh, and that uh, is a diff- different way of saying what Joe just said. But, <laughs> but the bottom line is uh, whenever a statewide election comes up, no one really knows uh, which party will I- end up uh, winning the election. It, it's generally very, very close, and sometimes it goes Republican, sometimes it goes Democrat. And that's a, a positive thing to be said about North Carolina. Uh, another thing that is important for folks to know, and I, I learned this uh, listening to public TV. I was watching uh, Governor Hunt, a Democrat, uh, a well-respected uh, governor, conservative Democrat, clearly, uh, and Governor Martin, a Republican, again, conservative, uh, both who served uh, uh, as governor for uh, at least two terms, uh, Governor Hunt actually served for two different two terms, four terms uh, together. But uh, the bottom line is they both uh, agree that uh, at least two of these amendments are, could be horrible for the for the state of North Carolina. Uh, and I, and I think that's where uh, we we really need to to. Um, to go, but in terms of the state, the, these folks are are elected statewide. Uh, and, and another thing that I think is uh, important for folks to under, understand, um, and, and Joe can tell us a little bit about this, is that under the uh, under the law, when uh, 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 when an amendment to the Constitution is proposed. Um, there was a, a, a bipartisan commission that was supposed to write the amendments for the ballot. Joe, what happened to that this time? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, in addition to uh, Governor Hunt and Governor Martin, I would point out that all five living former governors of the state of North Carolina, both Republican and Democrat, as well as all six former chief justices, of the North Carolina Supreme Court, again, both Republican and Democrat, all are unified in opposition, particularly to the two two amendments uh, well, you, you referenced. Well, you know, uh, it's really funny. I, I heard uh, Don Stevens, who was a recently retired Superior Court judge in Wake County, a well-respected uh, judge, not only in Wake County but statewide, a, 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 an extraordinary man, uh, uh, but uh, he he said, uh, and I I can't can't get this out of my mind. But he said, uh, any time a, a chief justice like Jim Exum, who was a known moderate to liberal Democrat, and I Beverly Lake, 
uh, probably the most conservative Republican in the state of North Carolina as chief justice. When they agree on something, you know (laughs) that it has to be right. And uh, and they're unified in their opposition to uh, these amendments. Um, so can you can you give us a little history, uh, Joe? Because I know that's something that that you delve into. Yes, uh, amending the the constitution of the state of North Carolina is not uh, something lightly lightly done. Uh, Article thirteen, section four of that constitution says that. Uh, uh, a proposal to amend the Constitution comes out of the General Assembly. It has to be passed by a three-fifths vote, vote of both the North Carolina House and the North Carolina Senate. The governor cannot veto that bill, and it then goes to the voters and must be passed by a majority of uh, of the uh, of the of the people. Um, going back to your question about the commission that was established in 2016. A commission to a bipartisan commission consisting of the uh, Secretary, North Carolina Secretary of State, the North Carolina Attorney General, and the Chief uh, Legislative Officer of the North Carolina General Assembly. That currently is two Democrats, one Republican. Uh, they were uh, assigned the responsibility to determine what language. Uh, reflecting the amendments passed by the General Assembly should appear on the ballot. And and just to interrupt, and I apologize, but two of the three were officials elected statewide and responsible to all the voters of the state of North Carolina. Is that that, that that's correct? I think the that's atter- important. The Attorney General and the uh, and the uh, Secretary of State, the Chief Legislative. Legislative officer of the North Carolina General Assembly is uh, is hired by the General Assembly. Right, and and I know uh, the the Secretary of State has been in office many many years, and before that served in the General Assembly. I suspect she has more experience, legislative and executive, than anyone who is currently serving. Since Mickey Michaud retired from Durham, I suspect that she has more experience than any anyone over in the General Assembly or in the executive uh, branch at this point. And that's the one. That's one of the issues uh, with these amendments was that uh, in uh, this past uh, past summer, the uh, General Assembly was called back into special session, and the authority of this commission, three-member bipartisan commission, to draft ballot language for constitutional amendments was uh, was revoked. Uh, the explanation given were uh, somewhat vague and tenuous, but in any event, the current supermajority in the General Assembly revoked that authority and determined uh, to uh, write the language that the uh, amendments, uh, the language of the amendments that would appear on the ballot itself, and that's that's essentially what they did. Well, that Joe, I know we need to take a break, so let's stop there, and then we'll come back and keep trying to let folks know how this stuff came about and what it means to us as voters. We'll pick up right after this. Thank you so much for listening. We've got Attorney Joe John here in the studio, and you're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF.
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. We've got a special guest here in the studio, and that is Attorney Joe John. And Bill, I, I want to kind of go back to something that you mentioned in the first segment because I, I think that's really key here, and that's of the, the the makeup of the voting demographic of North Carolina. You know, you referenced my shirt, and it's it's important to keep that in perspective. Uh, well, it, it is, and a lot of folks don't realize it, but the state of North Carolina is is not all Democrat. It's not all Republican. It's actually about one-third Democrat, one-third Republican, and importantly, one-third independent. Um, and, and that's consistent with the majority of North Carolina uh, being uh, moderate in their views. And, and there are an awful lot of folks that have gone away from the Democratic Party and the Republican Party simply because the, the party lines are way too far right or way too far left for most folks. And it, and it, uh, uh, so the bottom line is it's important to, to know that in terms of what's going on. Um, because, you know, the, one of the things I talked about last week was the precise gerrymandering that has occurred in North Carolina to give one party complete control of the legislative process. Uh, in other words, complete control of the House of Representatives and the North Carolina Senate. Um, and, and what that basically means is uh, – and it's a result of precise gerrymandering. Uh, and, of course, both parties have done gerrymandering, but it, they've gotten it down to a precise science at this point to where at this point I mean, it just makes no sense that the General Assembly would look like it looks. But what we actually have right now is a General Assembly that has castrated the governor. Uh, and, uh, you know, the governor is elected statewide, responsible to all the voters. There's not a single person in the General Assembly that's elected statewide. They're all elected from small districts. But the bottom line is because one party has complete control of both houses, uh, the, the governor, even though he has a veto authority, the General Assembly can override him uh, on any and every thing. So the bottom line is they've passed a lot of things where uh, this year that have, you know, you'd hold your nose at it for the most part, but uh, and it's been vetoed, but then the General Assembly would override it. But there's one branch of government that has been able to uh, stymie some of uh, what the General Assembly has actually passed. Uh, and that's and the reason that that branch can say, no, you can't do that, is because of what's called separation of powers, where each branch has its own uh, authority, the own things that they're supposed to do, uh, and the judicial branch has basically stood up and said, no, you can't do that. And it's important for folks to understand that the judicial branch in North Carolina is made up of both Democrats, Republicans, and independent judges who are trying to be fair <laughs> when they make their decisions. So, so uh, Joe, I want to go back to Joe because he's one of the smartest guys around. What has the judicial branch done uh, to make the, the legislative leadership mad? <laughs> before, before I get to that question, let me go back to your comment about the uh, – 
one-third, one-third, one-third division of voters in the state of North Carolina, Republican, Democrat, and unaffiliated. That speaks to one of the, specifically to one of the amendments uh, that we're talking about here this morning, which is that uh, dealing with the uh, Board of Ethics and Elections Enforcement. And what this amendment does is eliminate the governor's ability to appoint a ninth unaffiliated board member and set, and creates a eight-member board for Republicans, for Democrats. So if it, it effectively, this enfranchises uh, unaffiliated independent voters from representation on this uh, on this uh, uh, on this board, uh, and creates very obviously the uh, the uh, situation where the board may. Uh, very rec- regularly deadlock and and not uh, and not reach a decision and this this board hears challenges to voting laws election disputes mm-hmm. and ethics violations importantly uh, which can be brought against the legislative members uh, of the general assembly and so by eliminating the uh, uh, governor's ability to to appoint a nine member board uh, and create a eight-member board just creates opportunity for essentially no review and no uh, uh, no action on and, these and, on these various complaints. In, in other words, if if the ethics and elections board uh, is four to four, and everybody's partisan, then and they're deadlocked, then a vote to four to four, then they couldn't move forward with an ethics violation to basically. Uh, Go after someone who's, say, misappropriating uh, uh, their donations to their elections campaigns or doing other things that are unethical or illegal. Yeah, precisely the point, and and, and that that uh, unfortunately appears to be the the intent is to create mm-hmm. this uh, deadlocked uh, deadlocked uh, situation. But anyway, going back to the judicial, well, let yeah, me make okay. one point, and then we'll yeah. come back okay. because I think it's important for folks who are not students of government to understand that that the governor of North Carolina, one of the most important uh, functions of the governor traditionally and today, is the appointment power. In other words, it's the governor's role as a statewide elected leader, the leader of the state to appoint people to commissions and appoint judges. And that that has been the role of the North Carolina governor from day one. Uh, and again, this is the legislator's attempt to take that role away from the governor. And, I, and uh, you know, that's, again, where I think it's a power grab. It's against uh, all uh, sense of folks who want good and fair government uh, in North Carolina. But, uh, Joe, I want to go back to where we started, and that is why are the legislative leaders mad at the judiciary now? Because they're clearly trying to take control of the judiciary. Uh, sadly, that's been my, my impression, and it's a, a real, real concern of mine as a, one who spent 25 years in the in the judicial branch. Uh, that that it that the judicial branch remain separate and independent uh, of of both the other branches. Section six of the North Carolina Constitution specifically says the legislative, executive, and supreme judicial powers of state government shall be forever separate and distinct from each other. That's the separation of powers provision. 
that is the provision under which many of the uh, bills, laws passed by this General Assembly, the supermajority in this General Assembly, have been taken and challenged in both federal and state courts. Uh, the General Assembly has not done very well in those cases. Uh, the last count, I believe, was they were 0 and 14, which is uh, not a not a very good uh, batting average in, 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 in any league, and that the courts have typically ruled that the bills, the laws passed by this supermajority have uh, infringed upon this constitutional provision to keep the branches of government separate and independent. In other words, the General Assembly has tried 14 times to uh, erode the separation of powers and the courts. I mean, obviously, the governor uh, has no say because his vetoes are meaningless. And so it's only the judicial branch that has the ability to say no. And so there's been 14 attempts to breach what we know as separation of powers. And how, and that's really important for folks to know how important that is to good government. And the courts, made up of Republicans and Democrats and independent judges, have said, no, you can't do that. But that's, that's precisely right. And, and it, it seems like uh, the, the intent is clear because this – veto-proof majority, as you've, as you've referenced, has so often overreached the constitutional separation of powers. Impartial, independent judges, both state and federal, have, uh, have stepped in and, and, uh, and have, uh, called them out, basically, and said these, uh, these enactments exceed your, your constitutional authority. I, I so, know the, what the probably the last one that I recall uh, what was where they redistricted in such a precise way uh, to stay in power. That's called gerrymandering. And the federal courts basically said, no, the, what you've done is unconstitutional. But uh, they unfortunately for us that the districts have not been redrawn. So we're still going to be voting in these gerrymandered districts. <coughs> In, and that's interesting that you mentioned that. Now, we this will be the fourth, I believe, fourth or fifth election cycle that we have gone into where the districts, legislative districts, one of which I occupy, uh, are unconstitutional. We mm-hmm. have unconstitutionally uh, elected, according to the courts, members of the General Assembly, and uh, here we are. Uh, approaching the biennial census in 2020, which under which our constitution our, under our constitution provides that that's the time we will re- redistrict. So we've gone through an entire basically 10 year cycle with unconstitutionally uh, drawn uh, legislative districts, which is a very very sad sad state of affairs. It, it, it sure is. I you know it's it's hard to emphasize <laughs> how partisan. Uh, and it's not a matter of the to the victor goes the spoils. I mean, this is overreach in a, in a big, big, big way. Um, a, a judge, you, you know, the uh, I, I saw a, an article on the front page of the News and Observer this past week, and I was very disappointed in it because it, it almost looked it. it it, the, it was not really objective. It almost was a restatement of, of what the legislatures want people to think as it relates uh, to the legislative takeover 
um, of uh, of the judicial branch. So uh, I would really um, uh, like an educated uh, lesson on how. Uh, I mean, uh, part part of this takeover is where the legislature is talking about where they would send to the governor two um, nominations where the governor would have to pick from one of two people. Is that right? That's that's exactly it. Well, here's, I think, an, an important question is what – is the quali- what makes a, a person qualified uh, under North Carolina law to serve as a judge? Are there any credentials that a person it must has be, to have? Must be a licensed attorney. Are there any other there qualifications? Are no, no other qualifications, uh, and that's uh, that's that's a pretty scary scary thought when you when you think of uh, the. Uh, so, is there an age restriction? So, somebody who just got their law license could be a judge. That is correct. Uh, is there any ethical uh, considerations as long as they have a if they still have their law license? That there are none, There's and, and none. I can I can remember one election that I ran in some years ago. My my opponent had had numerous. Uh, Charges of ethical violations while sitting on the bench and was still was still on the bench and still ran in that election. Uh, well, I mean, the bottom line is that if the only qualification is that they be a licensed attorney, then the legislature could nominate anybody who's a licensed attorney. They could nominate their cronies, if you will, uh, as the highest judicial officers in the state. Under this amendment, the, the the general parameters are that anyone essentially can, who has a law license can apply to be to fill a judicial vacancy, and the general assembly goes through all of those applications and selects two, from which two the governor must must appoint mm-hmm. one, and if the governor declines, then the general assembly. Has that uh, has the final authority, ultimate authority to, to, to make, appoint him to make to the, the determination? Bench. So it, it is a clear uh, snatching of uh, traditional authority and power in the executive branch, the governor taking that away from the governor and putting it in the legislative uh, legislative branch of government. And this is simply a one of a series of bills that have gone through the general assembly over the past uh, past session, which are challenging and threatening, in my view, the independence of our uh, North Carolina judicial So it's taking away the, the traditional authority of the governor to actually appoint uh, a, a good person to – in other words, if the General Assembly gives them two cronies and the governor doesn't like in, either one of them because neither are good candidates, then the bottom line is the General Assembly can make them – uh, uh, j- judges. There, and, the and there, is, there is no uh, uh, restriction and no uh, process set out in the amendment. We'll talk about that in just a second. But they, essentially, they can pick any two out of out of, out of the uh, applicants that they uh, that they that they like. What I'm talking about when I say process, I'm talking about what's called enabling legislation. Uh, traditionally, and uh, I think. 
of the last constitutional amendments, 13 of the last 14 that have been proposed, they contain what's called enabling legislation within the amendment. That is how it would work. Okay. In other words, it had definitions that explained exactly to voters uh, what would uh, what would happen. And not only with this amendment that we're talking about, the one uh, regarding filling judicial vacancies, but with five of the six on the ballot, none of them, none of those five contain any explanation of process, no enabling legislation. One of the less, uh, perhaps, controversial amendments is the hunt and fish. Right. The hunt and fish amendment. That amendment contains no explanation as to essentially what the constitutional right to hunt and fish means and how it will be enforced. Does it mean everywhere, anytime, nowhere, never, uh, always on Sunday, never on Sunday, with a license, without a license? Mm-hmm. None of that is explained or set out in the amendment but left to a later determination mm-hmm. after the election by this same General Assembly, which has a session set on November 27th to determine those issues. Well, that's after the election. After the so election. this will be a lame duck session. By lame duck, that means that the election's already occurred. And so the bottom line is if this General you know, if the voters of North Carolina drain the swamp and these – these uh, legislators uh, no longer have a supermajority or a majority, then in this uh, session, uh, after they've been defeated, they can still appoint judges and they can still uh, do uh, their dirty work. There, there is absolutely no restriction on, on what, what they could or might might do. And remember, at least presently, they have the supermajority which means the governor's veto of uh, whatever action they, they, they take would could be and most likely would be overridden. Well, I know it's not talked about, but one of the things that, um, that the, the legislature has done, and I, and I know it was because they got mad at what the, the Court of Appeals did, but they reduced the number – by legislation, they reduced the number on the court by three judges, did they not? Yeah, that is absolutely uh, absolutely correct. And, and, and there's nothing in this special lame duck session that would prevent them from a, uh, basically creating uh, uh, three more spots in the Court of Appeals and three more spots in the Supreme Court. That, that is also correct. They, they could basically create as many positions as they want and then fill them. And particularly with, with the authority that would be uh, granted this, to them under this particular amendment that we're talking about. And here's a, a very simple uh, commentary on, on why these amendments are so, so confusing. The General Assembly declined, refused really, to number, even number the amendments. So we can't talk about amendment number one or number three or number five, whatever. We have to give them these sort of generic, uh, uh, generic titles and so forth. And then it, well, it's 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 just uh, uh, it well, seems like the intent was to make this process as confusing as possible. Well, not only that, but one of the things that upset me the first time I read them was the fact that they were so misleading. It's it's like. On the surface, it sounds good, but if you understand the meaning of them, they're horrible uh, in terms of what they actually do. 
and and that's one reason why I've taken this this show, which is about asset protection, and 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 I really want to, because I think it's important for North Carolinians to protect these precious rights that we have that are guaranteed by our Constitution from this power grab that's going on by the legislature. And and it's just bad government. And the only thing that, that from my perspective as citizens, is that uh, to, to vote it down so we can maintain good government in North Carolina. You're talking about confusing language, for example, the one we just talked about a moment ago, the, bipart- the, the Board of Ethics and Elections Enforcement. What appears on the ballot is a constitutional amendment to establish an eight-member bipartisan Board of Ethics and Elections Enforcement in the Constitution to administer ethics and election laws. There's nothing in that language on the ballot which says, well, we actually already have such a board, but it is a nine-member board, and we're reducing that board to an eight-member board, which, is, again, as we've already discussed, could be could be a, a powerless board because it would be uh, bipartisan, uh, partisanally divided along the four-to-four right. lines. Well, Joe, I know we have to take a break, and we've probably gone over – Uh, Jason's getting upset at us, but uh, we'll take a break. That's right. We've got attorney and Judge Joe John here in the studio. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. That's the website to go to, WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Our special guest here in the studio is Attorney and Judge Joe John. And uh, Judge John, I I wanted to kind of go back real quick to what you mentioned uh, earlier about the elimination of the commission. I I really wanted to kind of hammer that home. So can you go over that again? This commission was set up by the General Assembly to put impartial, neutral, explanatory language on the ballot regarding what what the uh, effect would be of the constitutional amendment. So, in in a specially called session, bringing legislators back from all over the state of North Carolina at to the tune of fifty thousand dollars a day, uh, that. Uh, legislation establishing this commission was rescinded for the purposes of these six amendments. Uh, the process by which we got to these um, amendments, five of the six, very, very short notice. We found out uh, the night before that the amendments were going to be introduced. They were rushed through committee and basically rammed through the uh the General Assembly, House, and Senate without much opportunity to debate and, it, and of course, uh, with the supermajority, the, uh, the governor's veto was over overridden. So, but the most critical, most critical problem with five of these six amendments is what we've talked about earlier: the lack of the what's called the enabling language. 
We don't know. Nobody can tell you. I can't tell you sitting here. None of the 120 members of the General Assembly can tell you what the effect ultimately will be of five of these six constitutional amendments. We talked about the hunt and, hunt and fish, the so-called photo, photo ID bill. We don't know because it's not in there right now. And when we vote, we won't know what type of identification will actually be accepted be it a driver's license, be it the uh, uh, real ID that we've heard so much about that you have to wait so many hours in line to, to get from the DMV, uh, would it be a, a college, a student ID, would that be acceptable, or would it be a special ID simply for the purpose of, of, of voting? We don't know, and no one can tell you. We are simply, then the voters are simply, if they pass these these amendments, are giving the General Assembly coming back in an already set session November 27th, giving them a blank check to fill in, fill in, fill in the uh, details. Yeah, that's something that you definitely want to keep in mind. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Special guest here in the studio is Attorney and Judge Joe John. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. Back to Asset Protection today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and our special guest here in the studio is Attorney and Judge Joe John. And Bill, uh, we've got a few more minutes here to, uh, uh, you know, for you to, to speak your mind. Well, for, first of all, I want to thank Joe John again, one of the most respected attorneys and judges. Uh, from North Carolina, uh, and his remarks are so important. But I, I want to just say it plainly. I think it's important. This is not a partisan issue. This is an important issue. These amendments are important for every citizen of North Carolina because it's a power grab on the part of the legislative leadership and that's what you call the swamp. And to the degree we can drain the swamp and, and say no to these amendments, I think it's extremely important. And if you didn't catch it, these guys over there have already set a session for, for the legislators to come back after the election, recognizing that they might lose their veto-proof majority so that they can put in place you know they could they could appoint uh new judges uh they can do anything they want nobody's ever said that the legis- that the general assembly does not have sufficient power i mean you have to understand the general assembly has the power of the purse string they control the money and that's the biggest thing that the general assembly have they also have the taxing power they basically control both sides of the money formula the executive branch, that's the one that's supposed to make the appointments. That's the one that, that, uh, is to execute the laws as passed by the General Assembly. And the judicial branch is so important in making sure that both other branches do what they're supposed to do. And so, <laughs> 
we don't want to be messing with the Constitution when none of these amendments are necessary. Every one of them are unnecessary. A couple of them are relatively innocuous, and that was their intent, to put some on the ballot like that that would fool people into thinking that these should be voted for. But the bottom line is there's not a single one on the ballot that's needed or appropriate, and a few of them are just downright awful. And we just have to get rid of them. We have to vote no on these amendments. Yeah, and I think we've seen that, uh, as you mentioned, in the bipartisan support by a lot of prominent figures who have come out uh, as opposed to those two amendments. And, you know, it's something to keep in mind that, you know, while, you know, you may support one party or the other, just imagine if the other party had this power, you'd be up in arms about that. Um, You know, it's something that you definitely want to keep in mind. That's absolutely correct, because the pendulum swings back and forth. It will. It will. (laughs) We'll go back the other way at some point point and you might want to keep that in mind a quick break and back you're listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander on news radio 680 wptf News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I want to remind you, you can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. If you're interested in set, scheduling an appointment with Bill, you can call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. You can also catch Bill tomorrow morning on the CW22 at 8 a.m. with his TV show, Money Secrets. He's also got a book out by the same name, Money Secrets with Bill and Mike. You can find Find that on Amazon if you want some more tips from Bill. Those are great ways to get them. I want to thank our special guest this morning, attorney and judge Joe John. It was great having him here in the studio. We are out of time. I want to thank you so much for listening and ask that you join us again next Saturday at 11. It's Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend. <laughs>